down with his family on it. So he went out on another boat, and he went to the spot where they believed the ship went down, and he penned it as well with my soul. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, it's good to have you all here, especially on Mother's Day. We appreciate you coming. And as I, <laughs> as I thought about um, what would I preach on Mother's Day, and as I went to prayer, I thought, well, what would be more honoring to mom than actually putting into practice the Word of God that we've been talking about? So we're going to finish James today. And Jesus has an answer in all our circumstance. Jesus has an answer in all our circumstance. A senior pastor is visiting a young Sunday school class and in an effort to build a rapport with the children. He asks them one simple question. What is brown and furry with a big bushy tail? Well, the children just sat there. They stared at him. Like, what in the world is this guy talking about? He sits quietly for a few minutes and waiting for one of them to answer. One of the children finally raises their hand. The pastor calls on him. And the child replies, I know Jesus is the answer, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. (laughs) Jesus has an answer in all our circumstances. This is our last sermon in the book of James. From here, for those that are keeping track, I've been praying and I believe 1 Corinthians is next. I got a thumbs up from Miss Karen because she does the bulletins. The book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, written in the early 40s to Christians, but the Christians at that time were Jews, as there weren't many believing Gentiles as of yet. James chapter 5, verse 13. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version of the Bible. And it starts, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death, and cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. God, we come before you today in this building. We thank you, Lord. (laughs) We thank you, Lord, for everything. We thank you for moms as we remember our mothers today. Lord, I thank you that my mother is sitting at home watching this streaming right now. I thank you, Lord, that You're with us in all things. Father, we give you praise. 
And we come to your word. And Lord, we try to humble ourselves and we don't do it perfectly, so forgive us. We need your word to become alive in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives so that we may walk in holiness because you're holy. And that's what you've called us to do. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. The strong Son of God in the church said, Amen. God has an answer in all our circumstances, whether it's cheerfulness, sickness, suffering, or even sin. He has an answer. First of all, let's look at sick, suffering, or cheerful. Are you sick, suffering, or are you cheerful today? James 5.13 has an answer. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You know, here we come to the close of the letter to these Christians, and James gives us some practical application here. And some questions for the believer to ponder, to ask, to think. First question is, is, are you suffering? Is it mental? Is it spiritual? Is it physical? Are you suffering? It doesn't matter which of these it may be. So what are you supposed to do about it? Or would it seek counseling, a doctor, a pastor? Well, all these things are not wrong to do, but our first reaction should be to pray. Go to the great physician first. And then he has given us people in the church to help us. Some pastors, some teachers, some evangelists. So next time, uh, not to toot my own horn, but next time uh, you think about it, just thank the Lord for me and ask him to keep me going, okay? You know, because apparently I'm a gift to the church. That's a joke, but somebody will get that on the way home. I am sure of it. No matter what the illness is, It affects the both person and the fellowship of the believers. It affects that individual and the group. Remember that we are all in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And then the next question. Is anyone cheerful? Are you cheerful today? Some of you are. I've spoken to you. What usually happens when someone's cheerful about something, they're going to tell you, and they're going to tell everybody around them. Far too often, we forget the most important part. The first thing we should do is thank God. Thank God that I am cheerful today. And sing songs of praise that God has allowed me to do this. We should worship Him in love, and in joy. And the last question, are you sick? You know our first reaction, depending on how sick you are, is to go to the doctor. You should do this, but don't forget to follow Scripture. The great healer still sits on the throne. My wife this morning went to the doctor, and she's back. They gave her a breathing treatment so she can breathe, and that's a good thing. We still prayed for her first. (laughs) James 5.14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
we're told to call the elders of the church. So the first question is, who are the elders of a church? Well, not to get too technical, but the Greek word means those who are in authority or accountability to God. Does this mean an older person? Well, it can, sure, no problem. Does this mean someone in their 30s? Sure, why not? What is in view here is not the age of the person, but their sphere of spiritual authority. The spiritual age or maturity is what matters in Christ. Some say the elders of the church are the deacons of the church. Well, you know what? The deacons can be that. However, not always. Isaac Adams breaks it down in a very, very simple way. He says, deacons aid the unity of the church by attending to physical administrative matters while the elders are focused on oversight over the entire congregation through their work of teaching, praying, shepherding, and leading, and I would say preaching. So it would be those who have both spiritual authority and responsibility for your soul. Most places you're going to find that it's the pastor. You're going to find that in aiding of that, the deacons will help him. They are there to look out for you as well. They are a part of the body of believers, and as you are. We are to call, it says, call, you call. Who called? Me call? You call. You call for the elders of the church and be anointed by them with oil and be prayed over. There's a lot of imagery going on here. And the first thing to note is that the person wants God's help and overcoming whatever the particular sickness is, whether it's mental, physical, spiritual. They're looking to God. The word anoint literally means to rub on a liquid or to pour over someone. Now, in the Old Testament, it's an image of pouring oil over someone from the head, and it runs all the way down. The anointing oil was or seen as something or someone to be set apart for God. It represented God's holiness and his presence on the person or even articles or things that were anointed. The anointing oil, guess what, usually had as its base olive oil. That was usually the base. Now, during this time and before this time, olive oil and other oils were also used as a healing balm as the base for that. Why? Because it would cover a wound or a sore and prevent bacteria to enter, which would promote healing. Now, I give you all of that information just to say, just because you prayed for healing doesn't mean you don't take your medicine. All right? Olive oil was a medicine. Take your medicine. Many people have died because they thought they went to a faith healer and they stopped taking their medicine. Many diabetics have died because they stopped taking their medicine. When God heals, you'll know it. When God heals, it's verifiable. I've seen it happen in a Baptist church. Man called upon the elders of the church. He had to go in, had a problem with his his kidneys or something, and apparently there's supposed to only be one artery. And I've told this story before, but there's some visitors here, so we'll we'll tell again. And what happened was, is they took pictures and they said, hey, you're 95% blocked. We got to clean you out. It's time for Roto-Rooter, medically speaking. And he called for the elders. He called for the pastors. He called for the deacons. And they laid, oil, they laid uh, hands on him, 
right up at the front of the church. And guess what they used? A dab of olive oil. Same type you go down to Publix and pick up. Because it's, a, it's also an image of the healing power of the Holy Spirit. And they prayed for him. And he went in for a final time. And for whatever reason, the doctor said, I feel like I need to take another image. So they did another one. And guess what? They found a second one. And apparently humans are only supposed to have one. They said, guess what? No surgery for you. That's a miracle, folks. Miracles are medically verifiable. God is the creator of both the physical and the spiritual, the natural and the supernatural. He will use both means in healing someone if it's in His will. James 5.15 says, And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is not a first that means everyone whom the pastor or the elders pray for get a supernatural healing. It is a generality verse Meaning, generally speaking, this is going to happen. It doesn't always happen, but in a lot of cases it will happen. The part that says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now where in the world did that come from, James? Well, it was common thought during this time that if you were in sin, your sin is what made you sick. That could be the reason. Don't get me wrong. But it's not every time. Doing, a, for example, doing an immoral act will sometimes get you a, a little leftover disease or sickness. However, that's not always the case. I'd say the majority of the sickness is not caused by sinful consequences. Either way, the humility and repentance of the individual who is sick would allow them to be healed. Whether that healing is physical, spiritual, or whatever, healing would take place. They humbled themselves and they called on God and they called for their brethren and they called for the elders and they laid hands on them and they were made well and their sins were, con- were forgiven. James five sixteen and 18. James five sixteen and 18. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Speaking on sin, James tells us that there needs to be a healing in the body of Christ. There needs to be healing in the body of Christ. That's what this is talking about. It's still talking about healing just in the body of Christ. Hey, you ever been ticked off by a church member? Oh, come on now. Don't lie in the church. Sure, if you've been saved for more than three minutes, you sure have. I may have ticked you off and not even known about it. If I have, I'm sorry. We'll talk about it later. Please don't jump up and tackle me while I'm at the pulpit. Well, guess what? If they have, that needs confession and healing on both parts. Perhaps you need to clarify a perceived slight with someone before it becomes a root of bitterness to your soul. Someone is saying, okay, pastor, I get it. I've sinned against someone and need to make it right. Or someone sinned against me and I need to make it right. That's right. The question is asked then, how public should our confession be? How public should our confession be? Because he says confess to one another. How public should that be? Well, that depends on how public your sin was. For example, are you a gossip? Please don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. 
sometimes I make myself laugh. It's always good to sit around and crack yourself up. All right. Are you a gossip? Have you gossip against someone that, that you need to get up and confess before the entire church because everyone knows your business? Maybe you cheated someone about a, a transaction and, and no one knows it but you. They don't even know it. Well, then you need to take them, the money you owe them, and apologize just between you and them. Here's an example. Now, just this week, as a matter of fact, Friday, I was staying late at the school. Yeah, me, staying late, right? Big deal. Do it all the time. Could you have thunk it? Well, apparently, someone felt like I blew them off, and uh, this must have happened weeks ago. Well, um, apparently I blew them off when they had a computer problem. And you know what? I don't even remember the conversation. Not, not really. I get hallway tackled all the time about computer problems all day long. I even have teachers who try to interrupt me while I'm teaching to have me look at their laptops. By the way, that don't happen. Students come first. So unfortunately, no, I don't remember doing anything. More than likely, which happens all the time, and probably to some of you, and if so, I apologize, I was thinking about something, you know, deep in thought. Usually it's either scripture or computer code or something. Who knows? And they asked me for something, and I didn't hear them or answered and had a weird look on my face, a twitch in my eye. I don't know. Either way, the perceived slight was there, and it sat there, and it festered until they decided to do something about it. And actually, you know, talk to me. And from there, it was a simple matter of miscommunication. I apologized and let them know that they need to talk to me sooner so they don't spend their time, you know, sitting there being all upset about it. You know, people will get upset at church over, over things that you don't realize that you've upset them. Maybe you didn't say hi to them. Well, if I didn't say hi, I apologize. I meant to. Tell them. Bring healing to the body. That's not something that needs to come up front in front of everybody. But it could happen nonetheless to bring something up front. But healing needs to happen in the body of Christ. James now tells us that Elijah was a man like us. And he prayed to God with all of his might. And God answered both of his prayers. So if Elijah can do it, how come a born-again, blood-bought child of God can't do it, huh? Matthew eleven eleven says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You see, John was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. They had the Holy Spirit around them, but not living in them like we do. They did not enjoy the same relationship with God as with the Holy Spirit, as we do today, during this dispensation of grace. There's an intimacy not known to those of the Old Testament, like we have the privilege after the cross of experiencing today. If you are saved, then you can ask God, being assured that He will answer your prayer. Every prayer you pray, He will answer. And He answers in three ways, generally speaking. Yes, no, and not yet, generally speaking. Yes, the time is now, and it's God's will. No, it's not God's time, and it's not God's will. Not yet, 
It is God's will, but it ain't time yet. Meaning, it's God's will. But you got to keep, keep on keeping on. Used to be an old hymn we used to sing, keep on the fire in line. I don't know if y'all remember that anymore. You must be strong, be brave against all evil. Never slack nor even lag behind. Now you know why I don't sing. So there's that. And lastly, do you find yourself in the circumstance of sin? Do you find yourself in sin? James 5.19 says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now there's a lot that can go into these last two verses, and there's been a lot of conversation about it over since the thing was penned. So I'm not going to go into too much depth, but I want to bring an understanding because there's been so much misunderstanding. James 5.19, let's break it down verse by verse. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back. First of all, James calls these people brethren, meaning they are of the household of faith. They are saved. They are true believers. And as such, they will persevere to the end and be saved. They cannot lose their salvation. Second, they have wandered away from the truth, meaning they didn't purposefully walk away. They just kind of meandered. And one decision led to another, and it seemed good to them. You ever watched anybody meander? You ever just sat down and watched people? We really don't have a place to go. They just kind of walk around looking at stuff. Go to the mall. Lots of people meander there. And they spend way too much time there. Speaking of someone who's done that. All right. Meandering. That's meandering. That's what meandering means. They wandered away from the truth, the gospel and or true spiritual teaching, or they got caught up in sin. Did you know you could get caught up in sin? Proverbs 14, 12 tells us that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you also won't be tempted. James 5.20, verse 20. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I've got something that's going to blow everybody's mind in here. Are you ready? This is, this is something, if you don't know this, it's going to change your world. Actions have consequences. Actions have consequences. Everything we do has a consequence, whether it's, it's a felt by us or maybe it's felt by someone else or, or maybe you don't even see the consequence. But trust me, there is one. Turning someone who is a, a believer away from their sin into repentance when they've been overtaken by sin or meandered into it will stop or cover a multitude of sins. Which brings us to the sin that leads to death. 1 Corinthians 11.30 says, For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. We read that every month. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Folks, Christ asked you to examine yourself. 
Why? Because there is a spiritual reality. And in that spiritual reality of examining yourself, maybe you will not be weak and and sick and maybe dead. What is the sin that leads to death? This is the willful Christian who has been shown the error of their ways and now knows full well the error of their ways and yet will not turn from their sin. They keep continually, willfully sinning. These Christians are in danger of God physically taking them out of this world. And He will deal with them at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's a scary thought and a sobering one. Or if they're no longer able to help the kingdom in a positive way, if they're lucky, God just may shove them instead of taking them out of this world. Now, I have a personal belief, and I can't be too dogmatic about it because it's not specific in Scripture, but I believe that if you're a Christian and He can't use you anymore, He's going to shelve you. You have just, you have just willfully sinned. He's given you chance after chance after chance. Okay, shelved. But if you're going to willfully hurt or not even think about hurting the kingdom of God, He will take you out. He is still God, you know. We're warned about this in the book of Hebrews as well, as other places. It's it's throughout. Hebrews is uh, in your face. So Hebrews 10.26 says, For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. In this situation, we're told earlier in James not to judge such a one. Do you remember that? We don't know what God's going to do with them down the road. They may repent and come back to the kingdom. They may repent and walk with God. It's God's job to judge. Not ours. 
They walked away from the church. They looked like a sinner. Well, guess what? We're all sinners saved by grace. And our lives should show the fruit of that. Out of a changed heart shows and flows a changed life. But sometimes we get caught up in things we shouldn't be. And in those situations, Lord have mercy on us that we need not be one of the ones who are taken out or shelved. All of that to say, if we see someone of the faith who is a truly born-again believer and they're falling into sin or they're in sin and they don't know it or maybe they do or don't have a full understanding of it, we need to go to them in love, in kindness, and turn them from the error of their ways. We have a responsibility, whether they're a part of this church or another church. If they're a Christian, you have a responsibility to show them the error of their ways. And in so doing, we stop them from committing more sin. And we may even save their physical lives here on earth, for love covers a multitude of sin. This isn't one of those jump up and down and shout to me messages. This is where the rubber meets the road. As a matter of fact, I've been playing around in my head once in a while. You know those pipe dreams we come up with? I got one of those where I'm just thinking maybe we can create a graphic with, you know, somebody peeling out and say Book of James on it or something. Where the rubber meets the road, man. Where the rubber meets the road. Are you cheerful? Hey, let's rejoice. Are you suffering? Are you sick? Call upon the elders. Pray. Are you caught in sin? Or do you know someone who is? Turn them back. That's the Christian life. That's what it's about. Folks, God has an answer. And no matter what circumstance, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, it may be painful for us to turn around. But you know what? He seeks those that humble themselves. What's the Bible say? Though a righteous man may fall seven times, he will still get up. Only the sinner stays down. As the ladies come and sing, I hope that the message this morning, though it was a simple one, it can be sometimes hard to do. I hope that it encouraged you in some way, or better yet, maybe caused you to repent in some way, or, or maybe gave you confidence to continue on, continue on. In. I know that's not a real word, on in, but you know. First question is, is, hey, do you know that you know 